You guys ready for part two of this series? Well, this past weekend, uh, someone I'll call a hero of mine in the faith passed away. It's Tim Keller. He died from pancreatic cancer at the age of 72. And I didn't know him personally, but our church plant network that I came out of in New York City was birthed out of one of his ministries. And his teaching has shaped who I am as a person and uh, as a pastor and the way I preach and all these things. And one of the things I love about Tim Keller's teaching, especially when it comes to money. He talked about money as an idol in our lives. And Tim, he started... Uh, pastoring in 1975. So he's been around for many years. And here's what he says in one of his books, uh, Counterfeit Gods. He says this, I've been pastoring for so many years, and people have been coming to me for different needs. Uh, people have been coming to me for counseling. They've been coming to me for issues with their marriage. Uh, they've been coming to me for uh, prayer for when it comes to health and sickness, uh, general life advice, things that people might come to a, for a pastor to help them. And he says, in all my years of ministry, no one has come to my office coming to me for counseling for their problem with greed. And I thought about that, and I said, that's so true. I haven't been doing it as many years as Tim. It's been 10 years, and no one has ever come to me and said, hey, I have a problem with greed. I could really use some of your help. And here's why. Greed is really difficult to detect. It's deceptive, and I would call it a somewhat of a silent killer. Like if I were to ask all of us in the room, like raise your hands if you're greedy, no one's doing that. Most, if not all of us, are doing that. If we did a prayer altar call at the end of the service, come up for prayer if you have a problem with greed. I'm not sure many of us would do that because greed is kind of like a silent killer. And I want to define what greed is before we go into the effects that greed has on our lives. Here's how I would define greed from a biblical perspective. Greed is an excess desire for money and the assumption that our money exists for our own benefit. Greed is an excess desire for money and the assumption that our money exists for our own benefit. You guys may remember last week, if you weren't here, I shared the frog and the tea kettle analogy. I said that a frog, if you put it in a boiling pot of water, jumps out of the water, right? But if you put it in a cold pot of water and gradually turn up the heat to a boil, it stays in it. Why? Because it assumes that slow, gradual, subtle changes to his environment is a normal way of living. And this is exactly what has caused us at times to be greedy with what we have. Here's what Keller continues to say. He says, Jesus warns people far more about greed than about sex, yet almost no one thinks they're guilty of it. No one thinks that they're guilty of greed. One of my first cars was a 1991 Nissan Sentra, an amazing car. As a college student driving it, though, it wasn't very uh, proud to be driving that car. Here's how much that car was worth. My uncle gave it to me for free. And so it had no character. It got you from point A to point B. This was about 14 years ago. Fast forward to 2023, my wife and I, our family vehicle is a Honda Odyssey, which is the equivalent of a modern-day spaceship. Like, Odysseys are amazing. Now, here's the thing. Minivans are in right now, so it's not too late to join the minivan gang if you're interested. But here's why the Odyssey is so cool. I can watch my kids misbehaving through a camera and the front uh, camera that shows on my display screen. There's a built-in vacuum to clean up all the stuff they throw on the floor. Uh, there's AC that comes through the steering wheel on my back seat and uh, the, uh, where I'm sitting. Like, it's an amazing car. I can turn it on from my phone if I wanted to. And the coolest part about an Odyssey is when I drive it, everyone around me is jealous of me. That's the best part <laughs> about the Odyssey. But here's the thing. The other day, 
I was at a coffee shop here in town doing some work, and I'm sitting there working, and I look through the window, and then I start to see this beautiful pickup truck creeping through the view. And so I stare at it, and I realize it's a 2023 Toyota Tundra Platinum Edition. It's a beautiful truck. And so immediately I stop doing my work, and I start Googling what it looks like, how much it costs. I'm looking at the interior going, this is pretty nice. Like, the Odyssey is nice, but this is way nicer. And then I'm starting, I'm going down a rabbit hole because I know the biggest hurdle is my wife. So I'm thinking of ways to convince my wife that we actually need this and not the minivan. And I start going down this rabbit trail, and then I realize I don't need this. I just need something to get me from point A to point B. But this is why greed is so deceptive. None of us think that we have a problem with it. Because in our suburban context of America, we're used to just wanting the latest and greatest things that come out. It's a normal part of living. But what we really need is something to get us from point A to point B. But the temptation is we need the newer, better, fancier, nicer thing that will solve all of our problems. But notice how innocent that thought was. Maybe I'll look up how much this car is worth. It's difficult for us to diagnose greed. I think it's why Jesus says, watch out for greed. Now, here's what I want to do today in my message. I want to tell you three symptoms of greed and then a cure for some of those symptoms. And now I'm going to tell you also how greed affects us personally, how greed affects our relationships with each other, and how greed affects our relationship with God. We're going to look at Luke chapter 12, and here we find Jesus. He's teaching to this massive crowd. At the, at the beginning of the chapter, we, say, we find that it says that there are thousands of people there to hear Jesus preach, so much so that some people are trampling over themselves. And then Luke chapter 12, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Notice the way that Jesus talks about greed. He says, watch out. One of the other things that Keller points out is Jesus doesn't tell us to watch out for any other sins in the Bible. He's not saying, watch out, you might just murder your neighbor. Watch out, you might sleep with your neighbor's wife like you're not finding yourself in bed going, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was committing adultery. You know when it's adultery and you know when it's not. But greed is a totally different animal. It's hard for us to detect it. And Jesus says, watch out, you've got to be careful about this one thing. It's silent and it's sneaky. And so Jesus is really responding to two brothers, right? Let's read that verse again, verse 13. This man says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Let's talk about inheritance for a moment. So in the ancient Near East, what would happen is that when a father passed away, his inheritance would be divided among his sons. Right? But we find that the heir of the family, the one that got the possessions and the name of the family, was the older brother. The book of Deuteronomy also says that the older brother got the double portion of the father's inheritance. And some scholars even believe that some older brothers would manipulate the system to receive most of the inheritance from the father. So what we're seeing here is likely a younger brother going to Jesus and saying, Hey, can you help me out? My older brother is being a little greedy. He's being stingy. He's trying to keep most of my father's inheritance. 
I mean, that's the way it sounds to me. It's the older brother that's being a little greedy. But Jesus responds to this man and says, watch out for greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus is saying, you may be right and your brother may be wrong. You may be justified in trying to get some of this money, but neither of you actually need it. You don't actually need it. And it's why he's saying, watch out. Life does not consist in an abundance and a collection of greed. You don't actually need it, but you want it. And so here's the first symptom of greed. Greed distorts our wants and our needs. Greed distorts our wants and our needs. We all have some basic needs in life. Psychologists have identified three basic needs that humanity has in life. It's food, clothing, and shelter. But for many of us, for most people across the world, that's enough. But for many of us here in our context, that's kind of like a boring list, right? Like what about the vacations? What about all the nice clothes in our closet, most of which we don't wear and we're unhappy with? What about the nice shoes in our closet? What about the latest cars in our driveway? What about eating in the fancy restaurants? Uh, what about the charcoal grill, the gas grill, the smoker? Sorry, guys, I had to go there. <laughs> what about all the luxuries in life that we're supposed to enjoy? Here's what greed is from a biblical perspective and what Jesus is trying to teach. Greed is believing that we actually need all of these things. There's nothing wrong with them, but a belief that we need these things causes us to be greedy. This is fundamental to our understanding of greed. In other words, greed has deceived us into thinking that this is tied to our purpose in life and a normal part of our life. The frog that's in the tea kettle that's boiling. It's a normal part of it. And let me give you an example. My dad right now is in India. He's retired. And let me say this. You guys that are retired, you guys have way too much going on for being retired. Like, my dad is traveling all over the world. You can sense a little bit of jealousy in me. And he's, uh, he's in India right now, and he sent me this picture last week. And here's this man that he encountered on the street in India. And here's this man. He's got a sandal on his right foot, and then on his left foot, he's got no sandal, so he's tied a rag together on his feet. But here I am in America at the same time at my home, the latest pair of Jordans are coming out. I'm on the Nike sneakers app trying to wait in line to get something I don't actually need. Greed blurs the line between these two things. And that's why Jesus says, be careful about it. Later on in the chapter, Jesus would look at his disciples and he says this, verse 22, that he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, or what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? It's a powerful, challenging statement that Jesus makes. But I think sometimes, just saying sometimes, we read this passage and we hear it and we say, oh, Jesus is talking to the dude without the pair of shoes. Like, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to need. If God takes care of the birds, of course he's going to provide the other sandal for you. Just trust in God. But I think Jesus is talking to us more than he is talking to that man. And here's why. Jesus says, do not worry about these things. 
The original word that's used there for worry is merim now, which literally means to be divided or distracted. Do not be distracted by all of these things. What you will wear, what you will eat, what's on your back. We are a people of excess and we continue to be distracted about our excess. We worry about having more and more beyond our basic needs. So the current house isn't enough. The current car isn't enough. The current outfit isn't enough because it's gone out of style. Apparently skinny jeans are out of style. So I have to go back and buy like baggy pants if I want to be in trend. This is the temptation for us. We worry about things that Jesus says adds nothing to your life. So why are you worrying about it? Greed distorts our wants and our needs. And here's a simple way of summarizing everything I just told you. Greed makes it normal to need a want. Greed makes it normal to need a want. So instead of being content with what we actually have, we find ourselves being distracted by all the fluff in life, and we don't realize that it's taken us off course. It's brought us to a point of anxiety and worry. Greed distorts our wants and needs and ultimately the, our peace with what we should already have. I can tell I'm losing some friends in the room right now. Someone told me when I talked about money a few years ago, someone said, why are you talking about money? You're all up in my business. And here's the thing. I would love, I would love to pick and choose what I speak about in the Bible. Like deny some things that Jesus talks about just so everyone feels comfortable and happy and feeling good and fuzzy. But that's not my job. Jesus talks so much about money. And he says, watch out for greed. It's the first symptom of greed. Greed distorts our wants and our needs. Here's the second thing that greed does. Greed disrupts our relationships. See, we may not realize this, that money gets in the way of our relationships. Here's what I mean by this. Let's go back to Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This is how we started off the story. Here's what this is at the core of it. Here are two brothers who have a frayed relationship because of money. Greed has gotten in the way of their relationship. This is normal. Just ask any NBA player that receives a max contract. Just ask any Powerball winner. All the people come out of the woodworks. Why? They think they need something that they never had access to before. But here's how money really creeps into our relationships. Money has the capacity to affect the way that you view people that make less money than you and the way that you view people that make more money than you. Money has the capacity to affect the way that you view people that make less money than you and the way that you view people that make more money than you. Let me explain. We might look at people that make less money than us and feel a sense of pride and security. I have what I have because I'm capable, I'm smart, I'm willing. My parents did the right thing, I did the right thing. And all those things might be true, but what swells up inside of you is a little bit of pride, a little bit of entitlement. And it affects your relationship at the core of it because you're content as long as you make more than everybody else. Maybe you don't believe me. Let me tell you this study that Harvard University did. They did a research with some of their students, and here's what they did. Which salary would you choose to make $50,000 a year or to make $100,000 a year? Now, it seems like a no-brainer, right? But there's a catch. If you choose the $50,000 option it means that everyone else in your life would make half the amount of money that you made. 
So if you choose 50,000, everyone else that you know would only make 25,000. But if you chose the $100,000 salary, it means that everyone in your life would make twice as much as money that you made. So you make 100, but everyone else makes 200. So 50 means everyone makes 25, 100 means everyone makes 200. The majority of the people chose the $50,000. And here's why. They prefer to do better than others, even if it meant getting less for themselves. They chose the option that was worse in absolute terms, but better in relative terms. In other words, people don't just care about how they are doing. We care about how we are doing and our performance in relation to others. Greed brings about pride and entitlement in our lives, which it affects the way that we view people. Now, on the flip side, let's talk about people that make more money than us, right? It affects the way that we view people who make more money than us because it stirs inside of us envy and jealousy and resentment. So you see that person on social media and they're in Turks and Caicos on vacation and you're going, the only reason she's on vacation there is because her parents are rich. Right, like all these thoughts start coming into you. That's the only way she could afford that vacation. Or you look at Jay-Z and Beyonce a few days ago, they bought the most expensive house in California. They spent $200 million on a house, and you're going, what a waste of money. But if someone offered you Jay-Z and Beyonce's combined net worth, you're not walking away from it. It affects the way that we view people because we kind of distance ourselves from people. We're envious at times at the core, but it also changes the way we spend our money. Look at this. If you make seven figures a year and everyone else in your life makes eight figures a year, you know what you assume? You don't have a problem with greed or spending. You compare yourself to everyone that makes more than you. This is the type of stuff that greed and money brings about in our relationships, the way that, view, the way that we view one another. Greed disrupts our relationship. Let me give you one final example. Imagine you guys knew, all of us knew how much every single person in here made, what their salary was. Think about how that would change the dynamic of our relationships. The way you talk to people, the groups that you were a part of, the person that you might cozy up with. This is the power of money when it comes to our relationships because ultimately our identities are tied to what we make and what we own. It's why Jesus says, watch out. So greed distorts our want and our need. Greed disrupts our relationships. And here's the third symptom of greed. Worship team, you guys can come on up. My what time is running out. Greed denies us our need for God. Greed denies our need for God. Let's go back to this teaching. Jesus responds to these brothers that are saying, Jesus, help us figure out this family inheritance issue. And he shares with them a parable. Luke chapter 12, verse 18. And he talks about this rich man who inherits a lot of money. He makes a lot of money on his business. He's got that extra tax income return. He's got all this extra money. And then he said this, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, drink, and be merry. In other words, he tears down his house and builds a bigger one. He buys the neighbor's house next to him, builds a bigger house keeps some extra cars in there. He builds out a couple of bigger pantries. He's got food in there. He's got his doomsday bunker. He's good for years to come. And in the parable, God says to him, you fool, 
This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Jesus wasn't playing in Luke chapter 12. It's a tough teaching. He calls this man a fool. And in the original language there, that word implies a lacking of perspective in life or ignorance. But why is he a fool? Why is Jesus telling this man a fool? We would say that he's just reaping the rewards of his work, right? Like he worked hard. He made a lot of money. Like do you take care of yourself? Some of us might even say those are the blessings of God that have poured out on this man so he can enjoy life. So why then does God call him a fool? The point of the parable is not money. Money is never the problem. Jesus never says money is the problem. Jesus doesn't say watch out for money. He says watch out for greed, right? The point is not even about this man being rich. The point is that this man, by building bigger houses, buying more things to store in his houses, and believing that those things will help him for many years to come, is actually believing that he trusted in his riches to bring about his security in life. He thought all the extra stuff. He said, I'll just sit back and I'll enjoy life. I'll drink and eat. I'm good. He thought that his stuff would bring about security. And this is why greed denies us our need for God. There's a leader in a church that I grew up in in New York. And he told me the story. He had a, a well-paying job in New York City. And he finally got to have a sit-down lunch with the CEO of his company. And this leader, he he's, uh, follows Jesus, and he's been wanting to tell this man, the CEO, about Jesus. And he told me the story. He said, I met with this man, and I tried to tell him, hey, do you know about Jesus? And you know about God? He cares for you. And this man says, I've got two Lamborghinis. I've got a house in Long Island. I'm a CEO. My business is successful. Why do I need God? What he's really saying is that I already have gods. It's the stuff that I own. Why do I need God when I have these gods? This is why greed denies us our need for God because it causes us to trust in the house of cards that we've built. And the problem with our stuff and our accumulation and the storing and building and not being rich towards God is that it's not built on a firm foundation and it will always leave you empty. That, may, that man may not have realized it back then, but there's coming a day when it will leave him empty. There's a beautiful story about Mother Teresa that I'll share real quick. It was her first visit and first and only visit to America. And one of her visits was to a senior living center. And she went in there and she says, I feed the poor in the slums of Mumbai, India. And when I give the poor a plate of rice, they smile and they receive it with joy, knowing that God is providing for them. And she says, I find it so odd that I'm in this center and people have everything that they need. They got people taking care of them. They have food that they need. They have medicine. They have TVs. They have the luxuries of this world. And she asks one of the people there, why is every single one of them looking out the door? And the worker said, they're all waiting to see 
if someone would come and see them. She realized the stuff that we have doesn't bring us joy. And so Jesus says, watch out for greed, which is trusting in your things to bring about your security. So how do we handle this, right? Like 99% of the world looks at us here as rich. You may not think you are, but 99% of the world looks at us as being the rich folks. Here's how Paul says, 1 Timothy chapter 6. I love this. It's so practical. And he says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. It's the same thing that Jesus was saying to this man who was storing up wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What do we do with our diagnosis of greed? Number one, put your hope in God who will provide every single thing that you will need. Don't just be rich with your possessions. Be rich in your generosity. That's number two. Be rich with your generosity. In other words, give until it hurts. Generosity is what I would call the blocking agent of greed. You can only be so greedy if you're so generous. C.S. Lewis was asked this question, how do we manage our funds? Like, what do we do with all this? What's the solution to giving? Is it this percent or that percent? Or is it everything that I have? Like, what do we do with our money? How do we handle this? What's the reaction? What's the response that we should have? And here's what I want to leave you with. He says this, I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our giving habits do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we want to do but cannot do because our giving expenditures exclude them. This is the solution to greed that creeps up in our lives. Let me pray for you as I close. God, we thank you that all of us have a tendency to fall into it. It's a part of how we're raised, the culture that we're in. We thank you that you tell us practical ways to live. You're not interested in our money. You just don't want our house of cards to fall apart. You want us to find true fulfillment and purpose. And as 1 Timothy says, true life that comes not from the stuff that we own or don't own, but the peace that we have, that you will supply every single one of our need. And the peace and joy that we have, that you have emptied yourself of your riches on that cross that we might become children of God. And we are to do the same in our lives. I pray that those who are listening to this message in person or online, would just help us all to take a next step, me included. What would it look like for us to be rich in generosity, not just in what we own, the stuff that we buy? What would it look like for us, us to not just store up stuff, but to trust in you and the life that you have for us, not just now, but forever? Would you 
speak to your people. Would you be the center of our lives? Would everything else be secondary? It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the church, the ecclesia,